Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. showed up and we've had to turn them, send them home. Well, actually, we didn't send them home. We all sat around and drank wine and uh, lamented about how upset we were that we couldn't get through. Yes, we are live on All About Wine again. For the last three weeks, we have not been on. We had Hurricane Ian go through on, uh, oh, whatever date that was, three weeks ago. Uh, Three weeks ago yesterday, I think it hit shore. And... uh, well, let me look at the map here. Today is the 27th. One, two, three. Yep. On October the 5th, Hurricane Ian hit shore, and it moved its way up to the center of the state, and it affected us. It affected us not so much in tearing up everything. We did have some branches and small stuff fall down and cleaned out the uh, garbage that was in the trees a lot. And uh, this neighborhood wasn't affected real bad. A couple of homes had some shingles missing. And some areas around where we live had partial roof gone. And there were screen porches that were tore up a little bit. But it went up into the center of the state. Mike, I don't know if you're aware, does not live in this area. He lives in Winter Garden, which is south of Orlando, and he got hit hard. It went through. It tore off his roof. Uh, He's got wet in almost every room. Uh, Plaster got wet. Uh, The screen porch uh, had damage, all sorts of stuff. He really, really uh, got hit pretty hard, and because of it, it tore down internet use and all. So we missed the day after the hurricane. Uh, We couldn't get through. I tried to connect with a guest on that day because we did have a guest scheduled and we will get her back. Um, She's been very understanding about the delays. We had a guest scheduled and we couldn't hear them and they couldn't hear us. And so we canceled the show and I have been playing with it, trying to get it back up and running and getting everything good ever since then. The week after the hurricane, we still have problems. We had another guest that called in and nothing. We couldn't get him at all then. I welcomed her to the show. I talked to her, but she couldn't hear me. And so we disconnected that. And uh, the following week, last week, we didn't do a show either because we were still having problems. But Tess and sending some emails to Blog Talk Radio, which is our main server, which we go through for all this. I did a test a couple days ago, and we got a call in, and everything seemed to be working fine. So here we are. I listened to the couple of shows that we did. There was no recording, no anything on it. So for some reason, there was major glitches all the way around. But it looks like everything's fine now. looks like we are back on the air. Mike is not with us. Mike's not with us because he is, well, without a home right now. Uh, It's one of those situations where the hurricane made him homeless. It's been repaired. It's been turned in, and insurance is doing what they can, and they're 
working on it as much as they can, as fast as they can, and things are being done. But hopefully he'll come back with us soon because he's the one that hooks us up to Facebook and uh, the other ones. I I don't know all the ones we're hooked up to, but we are are hooked up to quite a few that he plugs us into every Thursday night. And without him, I'm... I, he never taught me how to do this because he's always been there. And we didn't expect a hurricane to knock him out as much as it did. Oh, the bottom line, you got me this week. Hopefully soon, Mike will be back. And what do you mean unable? My computer just says unable to connect to chat. Now, I'm not chatting with anyone. This should be okay. Uh let me look at it. Yeah, everything seems to be going through okay. So I don't know what that means. I hope we're doing good. So we've got stuff to pass on to you, things to tell you and all that. I don't know if we'll be here an hour, but we, we will be here. We will be putting this on archives anyway. So like I said, it's not going to be on Facebook, but it will be on archives. And we've got guests coming up in the future here. And more, I hope, because I've got a list of ones that I've always been afraid to do anything. I didn't know what was going on with the connections and everything. So I'm looking at doing guests in the future uh, all, all the way into the new year, possibly. October is usually our Halloween, our, our ghost winery month. And... The United States is full of ghost wineries. There's ghosts in a lot of them. Uh, One of my, well, a couple of my favorites, one of them is Belfour Winery, which is located in Liberty, Missouri. I've been there, seen the grounds. Actually, I grew up in that area, and I've seen the building for years and years. It's went through all sorts of different uh, figurations. It's been... A hospital has been an odd fellow's home. It's been a hotel and all sorts of things. Now it's a winery. One of the things that they have run across, because it was a hospital and it's been there so long, the Civil War uh, veterans were hospitalized there. And they do believe that there are ghosts from that. Now, one of the problems with Belvoir Winery is they had one of the wings that was a hospital wing and they tore it down. But before they tore it down, the uh, sci-fi show, what is it, not Ghostbusters? Uh, oh, no, I can't think of the name of it right now. Uh, the sci-fi show, uh, that the ghost investigation and stuff, went there, and they actually heard some noises and recorded some stuff and all that and found some paranormal activity. And that was right before they were going to tear down that wing, and they tore down the wing. It was also an orphanage for a while. I forgot to mention that. And they think that there are some some kids that are haunting it still. So it has been haunted uh, for a long time there. Now, that's the Bel- Belvoir Winery in Liberty, Missouri, just north of Kansas City. So if you're ever around that area, uh, the owner loves to talk to you about the paranormal activities, if you will. He's had some great stories he shared with us. If you want to hear the stories, you can always go back to the archives and check it out. Just go to All About Wine, BTR, and uh, the website has all of our past episodes on there, and you can listen to one of the old episodes uh, of Belfort Winery or... Oh my gosh, I am I am forgetting the name. This is what happens when you start getting old. I'm forgetting the name of the one you're just south of us. See, that's why Mike is so helpful. He he he. If he doesn't remember, he can look it up. But uh, there's one you just actually south of where we are here, uh, east of Tampa. And oh, I can picture the place. I've been there a couple of times. I can picture. I can't think. Of, let me see if I can picture the name. Ah, no, I can't. So. But they are haunted, too. They are haunted from, they believe, Seminole Indians uh, from the area that were in this area. 
and they've got stories of paranormal activities there. Not only that, they also do a ghost walk uh, throughout the year on Saturday evenings. I guess they're still doing it with a pandemic. We are living under new and odd times. As an aside here, I do not like the new reality. To me, it's driving me crazy. I, I want to go back to the way things were before the pandemic, you know, like buffets and all that stuff, but by myself. So, But I, I guess they're still doing walk, uh, uh, paranormal walks or ghost walks on Saturday nights. It gets pretty busy. you got to sign up for it in advance, but uh, they are... Very popular this time of year out there. You really, really do have to sign up in advance to do it this time of year. And let's see, did another winery we talked to that was haunted uh, was in Virginia. Uh, again, these are on archives. Just look back into the October episodes uh, of the past, and you'll find a lot of these wineries, a lot of the uh, the paranormal activities of ghost wineries. They're, uh, the one in Virginia is haunted by uh, Civil War soldiers. And actually, they're they're quite haunted. When we did the interview with the young lady that was working there, she had me call on a different number because she didn't want to stay inside the winery going into the evening. And she said it just it was too scary. So... And we also have had a guest over the years, uh, quite a few times, Joy Neighbors. Uh, Joy's Joy of Wine is a blog that she used to write. I don't think she's keeping that up anymore because she's dedicated so much time to blog and some books she has written. She has a blog called A Grave Interest, which is, yeah, about cemeteries, graveyards. And she talks about the graveyards and the symbolism on the statues and genealogy and stuff like that. And she's very big into that stuff. And she's written a book. Actually, I've, I've, I have, well, I shouldn't say I have it. I had the book. I ordered it, read it, and then passed it on to my sister, who is real big into genealogy. And so she could uh, benefit from it more than I. But. Joy Neighbors has been with us, and we've talked about ghosts, and we've talked about uh, paranormal activities and wineries, and in well, not just wineries, but uh, uh, whiskey and liquor, all sorts of stuff around uh, the the country that she's visited and all that. Always a fun episode, always uh, interesting and entertaining. So we, I didn't get a hold of Joy. This year, in fact, I thought about it enough advance, but then Ian sort of put the big brakes on that possibility, and we didn't get a chance to get a hold of her and get her on the show. So you can always go to archives because archives have all this stuff on it and interesting stories and interesting interviews and a lot of fun. We really had a lot of fun with all these, talking to all these people. So check out the archives for the Halloween shows and go back to October of just about any year. Because I think they're, well, maybe they're not divided up by, by years and stuff. You can always go into Blog Talk Radio. I think you can... That might be divided up in years, too. So, but that is our uh, Halloween show that we try to do. Didn't get it done this year. Okay, a few things to pass on to you. Well, quite a few things to pass on to you, actually. Uh, And I'll uh, let, let you know what's going on here. This past month, we've missed some days because of the hurricane going through. The hurricane hit on the 5th of this month, which was three weeks ago yesterday. And that was uh, Rennick Day, which is a region in uh, in France. 
Also on the 6th was Orange Wine Day. Not orange made out of orange, but orange, orange wine made from red grapes where they keep the skin on a little bit longer than they do for a blush and turns it an orange color. The 9th of this month was Pentatage Day. Or the second Saturday of the month. I'm not sure. It's uh, uh, I explained before. It is really strange how they have these holidays for wines. It's sometimes a set date, a day, like 10, 11, whatever, and sometimes it's so the third day of the month or third third Saturday or something like that. So uh, I, I get you close here. Okay, the 14th was Prokupak Day, P-R-O-K-U-P-A-C, Prokupak Day. That's a grape. Uh, we don't hear it too much here. I believe it's from, and I want to say it's France or, or Spain. I'm not sure. Uh, National Red Wine Day was Saturday the 15th. Uh, that was uh, something we missed. I hope you did not have a chance to have your red wine on that day, but that was the 15th. Also, the 15th is, well, I shouldn't say the 15th. I should, well, this year it's the 15th. Oh, see what I mean by confusing? The third Saturday in October is National Champagne Day. Or it could be the 23rd, which is a Sunday or the 16th, which is, an, I, I don't know, it just, uh, but National Champagne Day, figure the third Saturday in October, uh, or the third Friday, no, third Friday in October is National Champagne Day. I'll have to double check on that on the new list that comes out. Uh, the 16th is Drink Local Day, and the 17th started Wine Week. Boy, see all the stuff we miss by not being on? Hope you've kept the 22nd last Saturday was Austrian Sect Day, S-E-K-T. That's uh, sparkling wine from Austria, not Austria, not the big continent down under, but uh, the little country next to Germany. The 23rd was Champagne Day in the United Kingdom. So. We have National Champagne Day, which is the third Friday in October, but then we have Champagne Day in the United Kingdom, uh, which is different, which seems odd that they would separate them, but hey, maybe they started that way back. And then coming up tomorrow or Saturday, I'm not sure again because of the different things that I find these sites on, is Carignan Day. That's C-A-R-I-G-N-A-N. Not Carignan, it's Carignan. So that's a grape, and if you're not familiar with it, you should be. It's a wonderful wine. It's a red grape and red wine, and it really makes for a great, great wine. So that is tomorrow or Saturday, whatever, whatever one. And if you don't know, and I don't know why you wouldn't, Monday is Halloween, or All Hallows Eve, technically. And technically, Tuesday would be Halloween Day. All Hallows Eve, or Halloween, is the 31st. It's confusing, I know. Uh, Also, today is National American Beer Day. Not a whole lot you can drink wine with it, but just, you know, for those in the household who aren't wine drinkers and and don't like wine, give them a beer. Today's National Beer Day. Tomorrow, National Breadstick Day. And you can have all sorts of different wines with breadsticks. Saturday, National Oatmeal Day. Hmm. That is a little tough one to try to be taken. Hmm. What can we do with wine with oatmeal? I don't know. That's, that's a hard one. And then, like I say, uh, Monday, Halloween, National Caramel Apple Day is Monday also. Uh, So dig out your wines, your reds, or your whites, or your sparklies, 
And I remind you again, sparkly wines are always good for just about every occasion. So dig out anything and have that on Monday. And then, what did I do just do with my paper? Oh, there it is. And then, uh, let's see, up, well, that's not much. Next Thursday, International Stout Day, which is a beer. So that's coming up. Also, November is Banana Pudding Lovers Month. It's also Gluten-Free Diet Awareness Month. You know, as a little aside here, I never never heard of gluten causing people problems when I was growing up. I, I don't, it was just like every once in a while, you might have somebody that say, well, I'm allergic to that on different foods. But, you know, it's just like gluten-free uh, is something that's, I think it's a, a modern thing. National Diabetes Month is November, so be aware of diabetes. I am a diabetic. I've mentioned it. Uh, National Diabetes Month is uh, going to be November. Uh, Fondue Month, November. National Native American Month. Heritage Month. So whatever your heritage is, celebrate it in November. National Peanut Butter Lovers Month is also November, and National Pepper month i don't know the question is is that bell pepper is that black pepper is that hot pepper i don't know just pepper so i would guess that it could be any of them hmm. interesting interesting thing there so national pepper month coming up uh, in november and let's see uh what else we got here? Well, nothing yet. Okay, then we can cover those next week. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Tuesday the 1st is in a Mavro Day, which is a grape. Uh, in a Mavro? Let's see if I can find what grape that is. Wine grape varieties. Here we go. That's my one of my favorite websites, and let's look. Well, I guess not, because they don't even have any label listed here. Now, hmm, that is strange. That This site usually has everything I'd ever want on it, but it doesn't have that. Well, don't give up on me. Let me look at another possibility here of a grape site and I can't find it. Hmm. Well, I don't know. Oh, well, I should have looked this up before, I guess, shouldn't I? Oh, well, Inno Bravo. Inno Mabro Day, which is the name of a grape, is up this coming Tuesday. So that's what we got coming up over the next week and what's happened in October, since we have not been with you, which I apologize for that. I'm sure that you all missed all about wine. I apologize for not on Facebook, too. That's really, really tough, because we usually get a nice following on Facebook. Okay, news. NFL has named Gallo as its official wine sponsor. Uh, it's <laughs> the National Football League and E&J Gallo, or Gallo Winery, announced that Gallo will be the official wine sponsor. The partnership is uniquely structured to engage NFL fans. It will include opportunities for local team activation, player imagery and appearances, on-site presence at premier events and broadcasts, digital and social content from NFL kickoff through the Super Bowl. So if you start seeing stuff for Gallo, that's why. They are the official wine. I don't know, and I tried to find out on this. Uh, this this appeared a while back. I, mean, I just found the article. I, I tried to find out if the stadiums had to feature Gallo 
as their wines, which is really a lot of different wines and a lot of different possibilities there. But uh, they, I don't know. It doesn't say uh, if it uh, if they have to do that. But it goes on. Barefoot, America's most loved winery, will kick off the partnership. Now, Barefoot is part of the Gallo family. Uh, Barefoot brings more consumers into the wine category than any other brand. Gallo is thrilled to be uniting America's most loved winery with America's most popular sport, so the Gallo spokesman. Uh, she also adds... As an industry leader, our role is to welcome new consumers to the wine category in unique and relevant ways. This partnership will do just that by bringing our avid fan bases together. The notion of togetherness seems more relevant now than ever. Here we go with the new reality again. Like I say, it's always always the new reality. Uh, oh, uh, what am I doing? I've lost a page here that I was working with. And let's see. Oh, there it is. I found it. Thank you. So we're excited to partner with Gallo to bring more choices for our fans, said the NFL Senior Vice President of Sponsorship Management. Uh, obviously, we look forward to pairing with EJ Gallo and their portfolio of wines, including the iconic barefoot brand so uh it says to this multi-branded multi-year agreement oh multi-year so it's not just this year gallo will implement 360 degree programming creating surround sound for its brands all the way through the consumer purchase journey over the years through acquisitions strategic partnerships and new brand innovations Gallo has continued to expand and diversify its portfolio across all price points to meet growing consumer demand and evolving preferences. This tradition continues with Gallo as the official wine sponsor of the NFL. Full activation went into effect in August. So, I, I don't know if the Gallo sponsorship means that they have to carry Gallo brands at the stadiums? I doubt it, though. I mean, Budweiser is real big. I don't know if Budweiser is that big in football anymore or not. Uh, hmm. Come to think of it, I don't see a whole lot of beer advertisements for football games. But, uh, yeah, I guess I do if I think about it. But that doesn't mean that they have to carry only Budweiser at stadiums they can have anything else they want so i'm sure they can have others but gallo's portfolio is so large they can probably cover just about any type of wine that anybody would want and not have an issue with it not being part of the gallo portfolio so i don't know but there you go when you start watching national football league and you start seeing gallo pop up all the time that's why it is the official sponsor. Okay, we're done with that. A uh, few things here in the past, few few stuff, you know, a little bit older articles a month or so ago, but there's things that I want to pass on to you. Price hikes. There has been price hikes all over the wine industry. As you probably notice, if you're buying the same brand over and over, you've probably seen a lot of different prices on your bottles that you're used to. You say, oh, I used to only pay you know $22 for that bottle. Now it's 25 and stuff like that. But that's not just costing that. It is also affecting tasting rooms. Tasting room visits to West Coast wineries after rebounding in 2021 are way down this summer compared to the pre-pandemic numbers. Now, this is a, a survey of 400 wineries, and they have said that it's uh, really making a difference on the prices. Okay. 
the in Yontville, where the French Laundry restaurant uh, is still a, a big draw, and the French Laundry is an iconic restaurant in Yontville or in the Napa Valley. The average hotel room now costs nine hundred and thirty-four dollars. Whoa! Yeah, really. I mean, you, you, to stay in Napa, you can't do that. If you're going to do anything, you know, travel an hour and get out of that area. Uh, while wine country hotelers and restaurants aren't happy, wineries are likely to be too upset aren't likely to be too upset because the average revenue from tasting room visits is up from an average of $80 to $100 in 2019 to an average of 110 to 125 today. There are fewer visitors, but they're spending more money. They figure it's a good trade-off. There's a big change that took place during the COVID and they've gone from a whole lot of walk-in people that has dictated the style of tourism in Napa Valley way back to 1972. Actually, that was about the time I got there and started visit. And back then, it was all free tastings, and people would come in, they would taste for free, and they would go home and buy from grocery stores, and everybody had distribution. And it was all just pretty much happy, hunky-dory, if you will, for, for the wineries and for the people. Well, now all the new wineries have to be by appointment. And that's true. Very few of them. It just, you know, they don't do walk-ins. Um, the appointment model is a better model, they say. It limits the number of people. If you do walk in, uh, it's if you have a winery that does walk in, they say it's a zoo. You see a lot more people, but you don't really give them the time and the attention, personal attention that you would like to or that they would like to have. I mean, and I understand that. When I go to a winery, I like to talk to the people. I like to talk to them about the wines and uh, the everything. I'm a little bit more involved, but you should too. I mean, if you go to a winery and stuff like that, I'm sure you like to spend a little bit more time talking to them. But it is a little out of hand. The long-term risk of rising prices and reducing access. There's uh, no doubt that every winery and well, actually every business, if you want to look at it, would rather have wealthy customers who can drop more than $1,000 in a day without thinking about it. But that's what a day in Napa Valley costs now for a couple who stay in an average hotel room, go to lunch and dinner in the restaurants in Napa, visit two tasting rooms, and buy one bottle of Cabernet to take home. Okay? It's going to run $1,000 or more. If you're in Yontville, where the French Laundry restaurant is and hotel it's going to cost you two thousand dollars for that day Uh, you know if you're taken aback by it i don't blame you i am too that's a bit (laughs) you know a little bit of change there uh it, it might be reasonable if you were staying in new york city and you got a hotel room and went to a broadway show and had two meals in restaurants uh okay but this is Napa, okay? And I know California is getting expensive and all that stuff, but Napa is a big attraction. And it's just, it's, I think it's getting a little out of hand. I, at those costs, I think, personally, I think it's a lot of hand. I've always told people, you need to go to Napa at least once. Just like you need to go to Disneyland or Disney World at least once. You can say you've been there and it's really cool and I had fun, but... It's not something you want to make a habit of. And it can get really, really expensive. I I yearn for the old days when the tastings were free or just a few dollars. San Francisco Chronicle, which is the closest large newspaper to Napa, has been reporting this issue for months. Uh, They contacted a lot of the residents in the area, uh, San Francisco Bay Area, who have complained about the price of tastings and the inability to make impromptu visits. 
which I can understand that. I mean, you get up in the morning, what are we going to do today? Well, let's go to Napa. Okay, and you go. Uh, you can't taste anything, but you can go to Napa. I, last time I was in California, I actually skipped Napa, and I went to Sonoma, I went to Paso Ropos, I went to, uh, uh, oh, my engineer brought me in a wine for the night. Look at that. Pinot Noir, Mendocino County Pinot Noir. Oh, well, this looks good. Let's take a break from my story here and do a little wine tasting. Uh, tell you about this a little bit here. Uh, Castle Rock Winery in Mendocino County. It's a 2020 Pinot Noir. And it says... Castle Rock, Rhinery, Pinot Noir, Mendocino County. Our Castle Rock Pinot Noir was produced from grapes grown in beautiful Mendocino County, where vineyards were first planted in the early 1860s. In this fertile and rugged landscape, the cool springs, warm summers, crisp falls, and wet winters make ideal growing conditions for Pinot Noir grapes. This elegant and medium-bodied wine has delicate aromas of violet and rose petals, complex flavors, and long, silky textures with layers of strawberry and raspberry leading into a long, refined finish. That sounds delicious, doesn't it? Cellared and bottled by Castle Rock Winery, Geyserville, California. Now, it says cellared and bottled. Uh, it... Uh, Cellared and bottled doesn't particularly mean that they grew the grapes. They may have bought the grapes from somebody else. But it is 14.5% alcohol by volume. A little bit high for a Pinot Noir. But let me see what we've got here. It's got the classic light Pinot Noir color. Not, not real heavy, not real dark. Pinot Noirs tend to be a little bit lighter in color. This seems a a tad bit too light, though. Oh, it's got some good aromas to it. I'm not picking up the violet rose petals. Let me see. They call it medium body. That's yeah, about a medium body. I'm getting violet, but I'm not getting rose petal. Huh. Oh, that is nice. Look at silky flavors. I can understand where they're getting silky on that. I'm not getting any strawberry. A little bit of raspberry on that. Let me do another sip here. Never judge a wine on your first sip. I said that before. Oh, definitely. That's very nice. Again, picking up the raspberry, but I'm not getting strawberry. Uh, and a very nice finish, too. It's rather long. A nice wine. Uh, I don't know the cost. I guess I really should start marking that on the labels, how much we pay for these, so I can pass that on to you. But Castle Rock Winery out of Mendocino County, which is north of Sonoma, and uh, Pinot Noir is a little bit cooler up there, so that will give you a, a good Pinot Noir growing regions. This is this is a little bit lighter, though. It's it's not a real full-bodied Pinot Noir, but Pinot Noirs tend to be a little bit lighter overall. You can get some full-bodied Pinots, but this is nice. This is it's really is a nice a nice Pinot Noir, Castle Rock Winery. Okay, uh, let me go back to my story here about the changing cause. It said uh, one Antioch resident, and Antioch is a town that is across the bay in Contra Costa County, uh, up toward heading toward Sacramento. He said he tried to walk into wineries without an appointment and was told, we listen to the staff squawk and complain and carry on about how they've been ghosted by a number of appointments, and we were standing right there, bird in hand. So, 
people make the appointments and don't make it, so you can probably get in anyway. Uh, tasting staff itself tends to be more upscale. The wineries are providing food pairings and explaining the bottles, but the prices for tasting continues to go up. $40 is entry level now in Napa and Sonoma, with a lot of tastings costing more than $100. I just, oh my gosh. Now, if they apply that to the bottles you're buying, okay, I, I can see that. In fact, it says here, wineries used to waive tasting fees with the purchase of a bottle, but few do so now. So, oh my gosh. I, 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 I don't know. I have a problem with that. Drive down to Paso Ropos and go to the wineries there. There are dozens, literally dozens of small wineries down there that you walk into and it's in the garage or in a little small shed and you can taste their wines and they are thrilled to share the taste with you and the wines are reasonably priced and they are good. Um, so it says in 21, you couldn't travel and it didn't open up like it did now. Uh, when the TSA got record numbers of people uh, trying, they're trying to process, but uh, you couldn't go to basketball games for parts of the year, and there was lockdowns on the beaches, and you couldn't go to college games and any of that stuff, but you can go to Napa or Sonoma, and that was okay. And so Napa and Sonoma says, ha we gotcha. And so they raised the prices on the tastings. Uh, the lower price part of the market has been suffering, and now it's getting worse. And the premium side is doing, has been doing well for so long, it's starting to slow down, they're saying here. Uh, wineries just hope it stays around. Uh, Catered to the wealthy visitors. I guess if you are a couple with without kids, uh, which... You know, if you have kids, you're, you're not going to go to Napa Valley and tag and drag the kids along behind you. Uh, you're going to go to Southern California to Disneyland or uh, make a trip to Florida and go to Disney World or something like that. You're not going to look at Napa. But I guess if you are a couple without kids or the kids have left the house, maybe a trip to Napa and... Sonoma and Mendocino and Paso Robles and Monterey might be a week itinerary. Uh, be sure to take enough money with you to pay for the tastings. Uh, last, uh, actually, my uh, my engineer and I did our honeymoon out in the uh, San Francisco area, and we stayed in the town of Concord. That was our base of our stay there we didn't stay in san francisco i'm familiar with the area though but uh made it easier went to concord found a room in concord uh actually for the week stay in concord it was probably about the same as it would have been if we'd spent the week in a hotel or spent the night in a hotel in downtown san francisco uh it gives you that much of a break and one of the nice things about it is the barrier rapid transit or BART system was right close to where the hotel was, we can jump on that and be in downtown San Francisco in 45 minutes and eat and shop and wander around and get back on BART and we're back across the bay. And also during the summer, 10 baseball games with BART and all that stuff. So point being, it's not a family thing. If you're an older couple or just two of you, and want to stay, it may be worth it. They have all sorts of stuff there in Napa besides wines. There's mud baths, and they got the train car, and they got all sorts of bistro-style restaurants and just a whole bunch of things. So, again, I suggest everybody visit Napa at least once, even though it's costing uh, so much. Um, okay. Oregon has surpassed the 5 million case mark, um, which you know, the growth for uh, for 22. Uh, it's uh, really been uh, a good year for 
the state of Oregon. The um, Underwood brand has slowed down a little bit compared to previous year, but the St. Michelle Wine Estates has picked up quite a bit. Uh, the Willamette Valley Vineyards has jumped up, and uh, so has the others. So for this year's the quickest, they have hit that million mark. Uh, uh, well, the first time, I'm sorry, I said quickest. First time they've hit that million mark in the state's history, and it's came the first year after the pandemic. So five million, actually they hit 5.3 million cases sold this year, which is uh, just like a, a new record by far for them. Uh, they're only behind California Washington in terms of dollars uh, on Oregon wine. Not familiar with Oregon wine? Get so. It is well worth it. There's some great wines coming out of Oregon. I think we've talked to some wineries up there too and, and you know, uh, do those. Champagne and sparkling wine. I keep telling you the good side of that and how you should have sparkling wines anytime. Well, in 2021, wine drinkers popped 69% more champagne than the previous year. And that is an unbelievable dramatic increase, uh, which obviously you can attribute that to the COVID in 2020, but sales are growing and it is becoming just a, a phenomenal jump. Uh, the U.S. market is uh, becoming a, a, a great market for champagnes and for sparkling wines. Uh, Prosecco has jumped up. That's the uh, uh, Italian sparkling wine that has jumped up and United Kingdom products. We, tried to talk, we tried to have a conversation with some um, sparkling wine makers out of UK this past summer, and we really had problems getting connections and getting through to them. We, uh, for some reason, it wasn't working right, and we talked to one for a while. I couldn't get in on the call. Uh, I had problems and might talk to him. I think that interview might still be up on, on the site. Uh, so, uh, check it out. But champagne and Prosecco remain the leading elements in the category. Uh, obviously, price point differences there. Uh, but there are others. Uh, English Champagne, Cremant, uh, are also being bought a lot. And so, it's becoming a, a big, big market now. Uh, I will never stop telling you that you should have champagne or sparkling wine or any of that stuff at any time. It's always good for anything. And they're reasonably priced. There's some, some reasonably priced ones out there. Um, the Comme Champagne uh, announced uh, records sales and i got to pour myself a little bit more wine here because the engineer just came back to take my whole bottle away from me. Uh, exports to the United States rose by almost 70%. Uh, and because of that, the demand can always be met in, in the country for the champagnes. Younger drinkers are really one of the ones that are driving this. Um, it, it seems that the trend is toward younger drinkers who are getting the sparkling wines. Prosecco is up by 25%. Uh, Cava, C-A-V-A, that's the Spanish sparkling wine. That is up by uh, 17%. And uh, the uh, United Kingdom sparkling wines, actually 96% they're saying here, bottles never leave the British Isles. It is being bought in record numbers, but it's staying right there. Uh, and the secondary market, champagne is increasingly being collected and stored, put away. And because the, the, the price index of that has risen by over 50%. So 
that's the reason why. So it's uh, the the market for champagne and, and well, sparkling wines of all type has really been jumping up. It's the after the COVID, people seem to have found it, and they are really embracing it. Okay, let's go on to something else here. And uh, hybrid grapes. I've mentioned this before, and here's yet another article about hybrid grapes becoming the grapes of the future because of climate change. And uh, they, Cornell, University has been doing a lot of studying on hybrid grapes, as have the University of California at Davis, and so has uh, uh, Washington, uh, University of Washington State. But it's they're looking at different things on the hybrid grape, just not just because of climate change. They need to look at the ability to handle the cold, also the resistance to disease and the resistance to pests and and fungi and the the climate change is messing with grapes in the way that is too many hot days and not enough cooler days, uh, which the hot days uh, cause the grapes to ripen faster, and when they start having all these hot days, the bugs and diseases tend to just go wild on the grapes. And also, wildfires have gotten out of hand. Climate change is being attributed to that. And therefore, we have smoke taint we need to be aware of. Not to mention the drought that is actually in the middle of the country, well, not in the middle of the country, the country is in the middle of right now out west. It's outrageous how much of a drought we're having. They have uh, some states that are so far below. Take a look at the Colorado River or the Mississippi River and the Missouri River. I was shocked when I started to see reports on that. The Mississippi River is down so far that some of the steamboats or uh, tugboats and barges can't make it through they are held up until they get some rain uh there has been rain that's went through the last few days but it's they're saying not enough the climate change is affecting all that because they're not getting uh, not getting the cold weather in the mountains and creating the snow which is a runoff to create and fill the rivers. So that is something that's causing a problem too with all the states that are growing grapes. A lot of them are facing this drought. So they are making grapes that are resistant to all this stuff. Uh, University of Minnesota, Cornell, like I told you, University of California, Davis, uh, University of Washington, all these areas are trying to come up uh, with as many different types of grapes that will grow and be able to fight off everything, uh, successful to smoke taint and uh, any diseases and any uh, anything that's out there. But are people ready for it? And this is the one thing that you have to question. Uh, one of the uh, one of the grapes is a cultivar called uh, Itasca, which scientists developed by crossing two cold-hardy parents. Uh, the Itasca, I-T-A-S-C-A, is more cold-hardy than either of its parents, and it makes a dry white wine with notes of honey, melon, and violet. But our people, you know, I just had a great Atasca tonight. And people are going, you want? Don't you mean Chardonnay? I mean, it, we are so ingrained with the names of the grapes that we are so used to seeing for so long that trying to throw something else in there 
may be a battle that's even worse than the battles that they're fighting against bugs. I mean, it's it's hard to say. Uh, they do need to come up with grapes that are going to survive, though. And if they don't, then it's going to create a shortage of grapes and a shortage of wine, and the prices are going to go sky high. So I would suggest that if they do come out with new hybrids, you give them a try. Don't just turn your nose up at them and forget them. You actually give them a try and see if you can't embrace them because that might be the way to go, the saving way of of the wine industry without it getting too outrageously expensive. Uh, Yeah, there's all sorts of weather problems when you grow grapes, but it just seems to be worse now. And so the new hybrids could be the lifeline, the the saving lifeline for all this stuff. Okay, let's see. Oh, I saw this. I thought it was interesting. The world's second largest wine museum is to debut in Beijing in 2024. The second largest wine museum. I don't even know where the first largest one is, but they're saying this is the second largest. Uh, But the article says that the Universal Wine Museum, uh, a mammoth project between Site de Vigne de Bordeaux in China, is expected to open in Beijing in 2024. well, here we go. The museum is spanning 18,000 M squared. I don't know what that means. Uh, 18,000 meters squared? It has to be. And it's hard for me to picture how big that is because I'm not sure. Uh, it's um, designed specifically for the Chinese public. And the museum will not be a simple replica of its Bordeaux prototype. So there's the largest is in Bordeaux. Uh, The two establishments are gateways to discovering that wine is a cultural product. But they're not going to copy and paste from the other one. So uh, they're both going to be different. So the Bordeaux is where the largest wine museum is. Uh, one of the adjustments that is made uh, is it is less technical, more straightforward it's, uh, along its guided routes. And they said the layout and design of the museum will be less technical and easier to access. So the Chinese visitors viewing can just go right through it, read right through it. Uh, it says demand for premium French wines led by Bordeaux and Burgundy is fueling Chinese countries' high-end wine consumption, uh, despite the country's dwindling wine imports, which is probably costing them more. At the museum, 3,500 M2 space will be dedicated to permanent exhibitions under five themes, which are from vine to the wine, history of wine, wine in the world, wines and essences, and the art of living wines. Um, so, uh, you know, should be pretty cool. We'll also feature a vast space for wine tasting and retail with over 1,000 references from around the world. It will include a 450-seat auditorium for wine lectures and education. And visitors will have a chance to experience the adjacent and surrounding vineyards in Beijing, which is one of the biggest wine-producing regions in China. Wow, that should be pretty cool. It says it's located in Fanshang District to the southwest of downtown Beijing. Uh, The project was invested by a Chinese investor, called Wexing Tang, a Francophile and wine lover who wanted to develop cultural exchange, including wine between China and France. The project was first started in 2018, and, well, COVID hit, and so it slowed it way down. But it was resumed 
a couple years ago and expect to be finished in December of this year and actually, oh no, I'm sorry, December of next year, 2023, and officially open in 2024. Oh, that's interesting. So if you are traveling to China, Beijing, you really need to check that out. I think that would be a reason to go there. Actually, I'd rather go to France and check out the biggest one, the surrounding vineyards, than I wouldn't want China. So, all right. Well, look at that. It's 8 o'clock, and we have finished another hour. Oh, wait a minute. No, we haven't. There's something I want to go through here with you before we finish. This is it. Okay, what's in a bottle of wine? What is in a bottle of wine? Point, a standard bottle contains 750 milliliter or 25.4 ounces of wine, which is, well, it says there exactly five servings. Well, yeah, okay, if you pour yourself exactly um, each on each one, but it never happens, but exactly five servings. The average point, the average bottle of dry red wine at 13.5% alcohol by volume has 550 calories. That's a bottle. That's not a glass. Point. A typical full bottle of wine weighs 2.65 pounds or 1.2 kilograms. Now, that, you know, that, that that's full bottle. There are some bottles you pick up out there that feel like they weigh like three pounds just themselves. So, you know, watch... Some bottles are heavy, but average, 2.65 pounds. Point, a case of 12 bottles is heavy. It weighs about 32 pounds, or 14.5 kilo. It is heavy. And actually, I used to always figure a little bit more than that. I used to always figure 35 pounds at the winery whenever I was figuring shipping and, and everything else. I always figured 35 pounds for a case of wine. Point, a bottle contains 1.65 pounds of grapes, or three-quarters of a kilo. Point, which is about 5.5 bunches of grapes, or 520 individual berries. Now, again, it just depends on the wine and the grapes. Some grapes are pretty small, and some grapes are really big. So it just depends. But, again, we are talking averages here. There are point, there are 300 bottles of wine in a standard wine barrel. That's your wooden barrel, approximately 300. Actually, I think it's like 297 if you break it down, uh, but 300. Uh, wine barrel is known as a Baroque. Uh, B-A-R-R-I-Q-U-E. Point, you can make about 700 bottles with a ton of grapes. Point, one acre of vineyard produces anywhere from 700 to 3,600 bottles of wine. And there you go with your difference in the size of your grapes and all that stuff. Uh, An acre will vary greatly. I had to get a sip of the pinot. Uh, let's see, where were we? Point, in the U.S., you can legally produce 200 gallons of wine for personal use. That's a lot. All right. It used to be a lot smaller than that. It used to be, I think, 50 gallons, and they've jumped it up. Point, there are around 1,400 grape varieties commonly used to make wine. And they're, like I just said, trying to come up with some more. You can you can make wine out of any grape, I mean, as far as that goes, but it doesn't mean it's going to taste good. Point, in 2016, Cabernet Sauvignon was still the most popular grape variety with 768,000 acres or that's 310,671 hectares. Point, in 2020, the world produced enough wine for everyone to have four bottles. Well, I have drank more than my share already. And point, 
in 2019, the United States imported 2.3 billion bottles of wine from the European Union. Wow. Now, that's a lot. That's a lot. But you've got to realize the European Union included France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Portugal, uh, Austria. Uh, what am I forgetting? Some big producers there. Um, yeah, so 2.3 billion bottles sounds about right. And let's see. Uh, I think there's something. One barrel equals 300 bottles. One ton of grapes equals 700 plus bottles. One bottle is approximately five glasses, and one bottle is 1.65 pounds of grapes. So that just ends it up right there. So there we go. Some uh, little trivia things. If you uh, next time you go out to trivia challenge, you can sit there and throw out those stats and win yourself the nightly prize. I think we're done. Uh, with another session of All About Wine. Again, I apologize for the last three weeks. Uh, Hurricane Ian really did affect us a lot uh, for the show. We will be getting guests back again. I don't think we have one for next week. Uh, Let me look and see here. Uh, October next week is going to be... Uh, no, I don't have a guest schedule for next week. But uh, the following week, following couple of weeks, we do have it, and into August and stuff like that, and we may even have more than that before it's all said and done. I am working on a list of guests for us right now. So we we are looking at quite a few guests, and they're not just wineries but these are people who work in the wine industry who have restaurants who uh, do all sorts of stuff it's the wine industry which is a fascinating thing we've talked to authors in the that have written about wines and we've talked to all sorts of people in all sorts of areas a wine lawyer quite a few years ago we had a wine lawyer on who was telling us about uh the different legal aspects of wineries and things like that. And it's just a whole plate full of guests that we've had. And we've got some of those coming up over the next couple of months, three months now. So you're going to have to come back and visit us. Hopefully Michael will be back before very long. Uh, don't know what's happening with this house. I haven't had a chance to talk to him lately. But hopefully he'll be able to get back on and get this on to Facebook and get everybody out there into the habit of listening to us. So, thanks for listening. Be safe out there. Uh, and drink lots of wine, but don't drink and drive. And we will see you next week on All About Wine. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.